and crew presenting the Medical Marijuana Expo and Trade Show on November 3rd at Holiday Inn by the Bay in Portland, Maine. Exhibits, seminars, and presentations by industry leaders, advocates, doctors, and attorneys. Find them at harryshill.net and find them at Facebook, Harry Brown's Farm. What are you up to Saturday afternoon? Sounds to me like a good time to head on up the mountain. Every Saturday from 4 to 5 p.m., tune in to High on a Mountain, Maine's only show dedicated exclusively to old-time music. From some of the first recordings ever etched onto vinyl, to the folk revival of the 60s, to today's young string bands, we cover it all. So come along on a musical exploration of the hills and hollers of southern Appalachia. That's High on a Mountain, every Saturday from 4 to 5 p.m. on your community radio station, WERU. Support for WERU comes from Inner Tapestry, Maine's holistic journal, celebrating and supporting life, featuring alternative health and natural living articles, calendar listings, and a directory of resources. Available at health food stores and alternative health centers, 799-7995 or innertapestry.org. Support for WERU also comes from Quantum Insulators of Belfast, serving Midcoast Maine as spray foam specialists. Licensed dealers of the Isonine portfolio of spray foam products, including commercial and residential applications applications with renewable and recyclable content. More information at quantuminsulators.com or 338-3077. 10 o'clock on the dot and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Common Ground Radio with your hosts from Mafka is up next. Good morning and welcome to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is Melissa White Pillsbury. I'm the Organic Marketing Coordinator at MOFCA and your host for today's show. This is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. here on WERU. We're open to suggestions on future show topics and guests, so please contact us with your thoughts and ideas through our website www.mofka.org. The days are getting shorter and colder, as you may have noticed, although today it's not so cold. Uh, While some of you may still be harvesting roots and hardy greens out of the garden, there's no doubt that winter is coming and it's time to start thinking about, or it's more than time to start thinking about, preparing your grounds for the cold months ahead. Joining us today to share their knowledge and answer your questions about how to safeguard your trees and perennials and best prepare your annual beds for next spring are Izzy McKay and CJ Walk. Izzy is the owner operator of Half Moon Gardens in Thorndike. Half Moon Gardens grows a wide variety of annuals in their large greenhouses, including certified organic greens that they sell to local schools, stores, and restaurants year-round. They also have an extensive nursery of trees, shrubs, and other perennials. CJ Walk is Mofka's organic orchardist. He's responsible for managing the two orchards on the grounds at Mofka and teaches organic orcharding workshops throughout the year. I've invited Izzy and CJ to join us today to talk about getting your grounds ready for winter, including cleaning up, protecting your perennials, preparing beds for the spring, and more. We hope that you, our listeners, will call in with your questions in a few minutes. 
But before we begin the conversation on that topic, I'd first like to share a few seasonal items of interest about what's going on in Maine organic food and agriculture. Um, First, I'd like to take a moment to recognize longtime executive director Russell Libby, um, who after almost 18 years at the helm of MOFCA is moving into the role of senior policy analyst uh, after today. Um, MOFCA has grown and flourished under Russell's leadership. Um, Maine's local and largely organic food system would not be what it is without his decades of tireless work. Um, We had a big party for Russell yesterday at MOFCA, and I'd like to thank all the friends and supporters who came out to express their gratitude for Russell's years of service and leadership. Um, We were just talking this morning about how many people we thought showed up yesterday and um, our Amateur guess guesstimates were, um, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhere in the the three to four hundred range. So it was it was a really great um, event to to celebrate everything that that Russell has contributed to Mafka um, over the years. Um, <clears throat> fall is a busy event season at Mafka. Uh, coming up next weekend is our annual Farmer to Farmer conference, but. Registration is closed for that event, so um, instead you can come see us next weekend at the Maine Harvest Festival. It's at the Bangor Civic Center, and we'll have a table there. Um, and so will many of our certified farms and processors, including Cheryl Wixon's Kitchen, Balfour Farm, Bagadoose Farm, Kinney's Sugar House, Moo Milk Company, and Longfellow's Creamery, um, among many other great vendors. Um And although none of them are certified yet and are offering an organic line, it's worth noting that a number of main wineries and breweries will be there and they're they're selling a a wrist bracelet for sampling. So that looked like a nice (laughs) addition to that event, I thought. Um, More information about the event is at mainharvestfestival.com. And it's not this weekend, but next weekend on the 10th and 11th. Uh, also coming up, Mafka has a low-impact forestry workshop on the 15th, or starting on the 15th of this month. And on December 5th, we'll be hosting a kitchen licensing workshop, which is for farmers and others interested in home food processing for resale. And you can get more information on our website at mafka.org. And I should note that spaces for both of those events are limited, and we usually sell out Um So don't delay if you're interested in registering. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Um, And for today's show, we're talking about preparing your gardens and grounds for winter. We'll be taking calls from you, our listeners, in just a few moments. First, I'd like to hear from our guests today. In the studio, we have with us Izzy McKay from Half Moon Gardens in Thorndike and Mofka's organic orchardist, CJ Walk. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> um, I, th- I guess I'd like to um, welcome each of you to maybe give a little bit of a background and your um, knowledge and experience in, in this area or in general um, and uh, share a few tips on uh, getting ready for for winter from your area of expertise. Izzy, would you like to start? Sure. Um, And thank you again for inviting me to speak. Um, My background actually is in forestry. Um, So 
Uh, I came into the greenhouse business um, thinking it was going to be my retirement business. What a retirement it's been. Um, We've been very, very busy at the greenhouse. So um, I'm going to direct, you know, my comments to people who are doing uh, backyard gardening, um, trying to supply their own food. And basically, what I've been doing on my own farm is, um, first, I would suggest uh, practicing good sanitation, um, picking up all the old dead um, parts of your garden, the corn stalks, the weeds, getting as much of that up as you can. And um, I know we are all um, faced with time constraints. Do as I say, not always do as I do, because I don't always get to making my gar- garden perfectly clean before um, I try and till and get the cover crop in. But ideally, that's the way to start. Um, and then I do promote the use of cover crops in gardens. It's one way to promote um, further nutrition and also help keep the weed seeds down. And I use, um, I typically use uh, native oats. They're less expensive. It's like $11 per 50-pound bag. They germinate easily in cold temperatures, easy to till in. It's a good um, thing to use as a green manure to feed your soil. We don't produce enough manure on our soil, on our farm, to... Um, supplement it that much. So green manures are a really nice way to add um, supplements to your garden area. Um, And let's see, if you have late greens like kale and uh, mustards, chard, um, greens like that, they're probably still growing. I know mine are. And they will keep growing and be edible all through the winter if you have enough. I like to get a, I can't use big hoop houses on my farm because the wind is too bad. The wind will just take the hoop houses and send them flying over the mountaintop. So I have these little miniature hoop houses um, that I put over um, the kale or whatever I want to keep picking throughout the winter. That way I can still get to it. Um, In terms of perennials, like I think CJ will talk more about getting trees and everything um, ready for winter. He's better at the tree thing. Um, But I promote good fall fertilization. If you have extra compost, throw them on your perennials, throw them on your trees. Um, Try and get it, get them fed. And I would actually suggest trying to feed them earlier than now, but if you haven't done it yet, now's fine. Great. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Izzy. How about, how about you, CJ? What, what are you doing right now out in the orchards? Uh, one of the main fall projects that I focus on is orchard sanitation. And the sanitation piece, I think, is really key to be able to help keep diseases and insect pests in check, um, not just in fall time, but throughout the year. So most of the work that I see in that orchard sanitation piece is really focusing on with the apple trees, really trying to manage apple scab, uh, especially if you're in an organic situation or in a situation where you're not wanting to use any type of sprays to manage that disease. 
Uh, so really trying to manage for scab in the fall will give you a good jump on the spring and be able to reduce the amount of fungal inoculum that is there present in your orchard come spring um, as we approach apple bloom, and that is the primary infection period for scab. So what I focus on doing <clears throat> in the fall time is, you know, when we're harvesting fruit, getting all of the fruit out of the trees, especially any of the mummies that may be there. Um, mummies in any of your fruit trees are an excellent source of where the fungal inoculum will overwinter. If those stay there all winter on the trees and then they're there in the spring, they'll start to reproduce and, and get your kind of primary infection period going. So I was getting those mummies out of the trees as well as picking up drops that are on the ground. So with apple scab, the fungus will overwinter on the mummies, on drops that are on the ground, and also on leaf tissue that is scattered around the orchard floor. I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. When you say mummies, those are okay. um, undeveloped fruit that remain on the tree? They would be somehow affected by... Uh, disease or pests, insect pests, so that they don't fully ripen, don't fully mature, and then they kind of shrivel up and die, but they stay hung to the tree. Um, so focusing on picking up drops and those mummies out of the tree is, you know, a rather easy task, but managing the leaf litter on the floor can be a little more challenging. And since that fungal inoculum can overwinter on those leaves that are windswept piles or right around the base of the tree, trying to speed up the decomposition of those leaves is really the, the key in fall time. So um, a few years ago, there was a study out of UNH where they ran a few different trials on managing apple scab with high nitrogen sprays in the fall combined with flail mowing. And they found... The study was using synthetic urea, which is extremely high in nitrogen, um, but they found that the incorporation of a nitrogen source in fall with a mowing to shred the leaves and doing the same thing in early spring had reduced overwintering fungal inoculum by somewhere around 95% in their trials. Um, so I'm really looking at that study as a way for uh, the you know, backyard fruit trees and small orchards to get a good jump on managing apple scab in the fall to reduce what's going to be there waiting to go in the spring. So the, the nitrogen acts as some kind of um, retardant for the, fu the fungus? It's actually helping to stimulate the biology in the soil okay. and kind of boost that decomposition of, of the leaf matter. Um, so I have used in the fall a hydrolyzed fish spray, spraying the trees and also hitting the leaves and getting through the entire orchard and then running the push mower through the orchard one last time, which is often a November task. And I think after mowing all year, none of us are really interested in running the push mower some more in November. But um, I try to break up those leaves as best I can and spend a little extra time trying to de get those things to decompose as quickly as possible. So if you're not interested in using fish sprays at all, Compost really helps as well to really stimulate that activity, and um, lime can also be helpful too. What about people who rake their leaves? Or is that just not very um, pragmatic for an, an orchard situation because there are just too many? Yeah, in an orchard situation, it would be really labor-intensive. However, if you had a few trees in your backyard, being able to rake those up 
and getting them out of your orchard, if you're able to shred them and compost them and get them to break down, then you'll be eliminating that um, the fungal presence come early spring. So I think if you have a few trees in your yard, it would be easier. And whether you bag them up and send them away or you use them for another organic matter source on your own farm or your own garden, um, it's best to really clean those up and just get them out from under the trees. If you were going to uh, bag them up and use them for some other purpose, how far away should those leaves be from the trees? Well, the fungus can blow in on the wind for a good mile or so. Um, So if you were to be using them as a mulch, I would really try to get them maybe shredded and decomposing on their way pretty well. Um, Or if they were maybe a a bottom layer on the soil and other straw mulch or other mulches laid on top. Um, So fungal, uh, fungal diseases can be really challenging in the organic orchard situation. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by MOFCA here on WERU 89.9 and in Blue Hill and 99.9 Bangor. And um, this is a call-in show and we'd welcome your calls at this time. We're talking today about um, taking care of your gardens and and orchard and other um, plantings around your grounds, um, getting ready for winter, things to think about to protect your plants and to get a good head start for um, next growing season. The number here in the studio to call in with your questions uh, is 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-WERU. And uh, in the meantime, we'll just keep talking about uh, different different things uh, to think about, getting ready for the winter. Izzy, you mentioned your your hoop houses. What? How how big are those? What kind of hoop houses are, are those? Um, the little ones. Well, they're self made. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you use the 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 bender from Johnny's? No, I've seen? Nope. nope. Um, we did get some uh, like uh, PVC that we could bend and use those as the braces. They they may break over time because exposure to weather, but. Um, Right now, that's what we're using. Um, they're movable. We we can take them totally apart. The sides are, um, let's see, the bases are cedar, eight feet long, and we can just move them around as we need them um, because we're constantly changing our garden around. So we have to be able to move these things easily. And it does make it easier to have something small like that to move around um, rather than trying to move, you know, a 50-foot hoop house using old skis or whatever and trying to get your horse and tractor to move something 20 feet. Okay, we do have a caller on the line. Can you tell us um, your name and where you're calling from? Uh, Good morning. I'm calling from Route 1. (laughs) I'm trying to find out my uh, grandmother used to put the seaweed in the garden. Am I supposed to do that in the fall or in the spring? Thank you. Thanks. I, I think you can do it any time, um, as long as you um, work it into your compost. Um, just keep turning your compost, and um, I think fall or spring or any time is a good time to add seaweed to your compost pile. Ever heard of seaweed being used as a mulch? 
like to put it directly in a garden? Would that be out of the question? I've never tried it. It would certainly um, be a good, uh, it would certainly add trace nutrients. Um, it would be good fertilization. I don't know how it would work as a mulch. I guess I'm thinking of the, the, the big ribbon style, but that's not the kind that grows in Maine, is it? <laughs> Ignorance being shown. Okay, we have another caller. Uh, go ahead and um, give us your name and where you're calling from. Hey, this is Bill Turner, uh, Spruce Hill Farm down in Stonington. And we have uh, apples and peaches on our farm. Um, last summer, we lost most of our peach crop to uh, leaf curl. And i um, wondering, we had heard that there's a treatment, I, I had heard copper possibly, uh, that you could apply in the fall and in the spring. Um, anyway, wanted to know from your uh, experts there what they think would be a good uh, remedy for the leaf curl. I'll uh, hang up and take my answer on. Uh, Thanks. Uh well, peach leaf curl is another fungal disease, and um, it can hit peach trees pretty hard, especially here along the coast. The, the majority of your fungal diseases that we deal with depend on a certain amount of hours that the leaf is actually wet, combined with temperature and the day length and all that. But typically along the coast with um, you know more sea breezes and just the, the increased moisture, fungal diseases tend to take a little bit stronger hold. Uh, for peach leaf curl, this year, I probably mid to late June started receiving lots of calls and emails, and it seemed like peach leaf curl was pretty strong this year. And just to get a kind of an idea of, of why that may be the case is because of kind of the early start we had to the spring. Those really warm days in March, everything was about, you know, the orchards at Mofco were about two weeks ahead of of the normal schedule. Um, and with peach leaf curl, that fungus is there overwintering on uh, bud scales and on the small twigs, just waiting for that, <clears throat> excuse me, waiting for that leaf to start to open up and swell and get that nice fresh green tissue. So this year what we saw was a real warm period that got things going. Those young tissues got exposed and then things kind of slowed down and cooled a bit and that leaf development uh, slowed back to maybe a normal pace. So that window of primary infection or vulnerability was extended this year, I believe, by probably a couple weeks. So I think that helped get the disease really established for a lot of people, especially along the coast. Um, now, to manage that disease, it's another place where the orchard sanitation comes in um, significantly and just removing those leaves that have the um, fungus on it, especially if they are falling off of the tree during the season. <clears throat> However, in the fall time, there are sprays, organically approved sprays that are either sulfur-based um, or even copper-based that you can apply to the tree just after a leaf fall. So that may be this time right now to do, especially after the storm this past week. Most of the leaves have been blown off of the tree. So that's a sp spray application that you can make now covering the entire tree and either one of those materials, the sulfur or copper, will be able to kill the fungal spores that are on the tree. And if you had a real bad infection this year and you repeat that treatment in early spring before the 
um, before the buds start to swell, before definitely before they open, then anything you may have missed with that application in the fall, you should be able to get the majority of that overwintering inoculum in that early spring spray. Great. I think we have another caller. So can you give us your name and where you're calling from? Um, hi. Yeah, this is Beatty from Camden, and I was happy to hear uh, CJ talk about humidity because we really were hit by humidity, at least on the coast, and I here on land this late summer, and it made a big difference with a lot of things, I think. But I'm actually just calling to put in a plug for seaweed. Again, on the coast, um, I gather it in several places, um, perhaps preferably the eelgrass because it's so easy to handle, but I really like the bladder rack, too, and I just put it on in March, and there is hoppers in it and everything, and you think it's not going to break down. It really breaks down. This is a mulch right on the the, uh, wide beds, and... um, it's just fun to get out there and do it if you have a place you can gather some seaweed that's blown up in the March storms. How thick storm. do you how thick do you put your mulch on? Oh gee, I don't know. I just kind of spread what I've got around, but uh, not more than an inch probably. But I don't know why it shouldn't be more. And I mean, you could dig it in if you wanted to, but depends what you're going to do with the beds. How soon? Um, if you're going to put seeds in, obviously you don't want a lot of rough seaweed on it. Um, but I don't, don't generally put any seeds in here until um, May, so there's plenty of time, and it can be turned on in at that point. So that's something you put down early spring? I do, and I'm very low-labor garden, so this is a low-labor way to do it. Well, great. Thanks for calling, Beanie. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Okay, so um, while we, I'll remind folks that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture on WERU, and um, we're talking about putting the gardens to bed and um, getting ready, getting preparing for spring six months in advance, and uh, we've got another caller on the line, so go ahead and give your name and where you're calling from. Hi, this is Chris from Winterport, and I've heard that oak leaves are really acidic to put on the garden, so I'm wondering what the truth is to that. Yes, um, oak leaves, what oak leaves do is accumulate uh, calcium, and so while they're accumulating calcium, calcium has a buffering effect on the soil. Um, So, yes, they do um, create uh, acidic, conditions in your soil. Um, They make a good mulch in terms that they keep um, weeds down. They don't decompose very quickly unless they're turned quite often, but um, they do create acidic conditions. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll finish my introduction, or not introduction, but my continuing reminder that this is a call-in show and your calls are welcome. Uh, the number here is 866 866- Six two five nine three seven eight. That's eight six 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 two five W E R U. We have Izzy McKay from Half Moon Gardens and C J Walk, uh, Mafka's organic orchardist, and we're talking about um, good practices for getting your um, plantings and and gardens and grounds ready for the winter and getting a good start for next spring. So um, your calls are welcome. 
And I'm just waiting a second because I think we have another call. We do. Okay. Uh, go ahead and give me your name and where you're calling from. Uh, hi, this is Mavis in Sullivan. Hi, Mavis. Hi. you have a question um, for us? Yeah, uh, about mulching uh, perennials. In particular, um, I'd like to discuss uh, German iris and uh, foxgloves, if anybody knows anything. Um, you know, on the one hand, uh, if I don't mulch the German iris, sometimes they heave right out in the springtime. But then if I do mulch them, um, sometimes I get some rot. Um, and this, the same thing with the, uh, the foxgloves, which are, which are shallowly rooted. Um, if I don't mulch them, out they come. If I do mulch them, um, they rot. Uh, what is your soil type that you're planting them in? Sandy. Sandy. That's why they're heaving. Yeah, yeah. I would um, try and actually amend the soil mm -hmm. um, right next to it. Add some more loam component components, um, more compost to it. Mm -hmm. I've had the same issue with um, planting small trees, uh, small seedlings, two-year-old yeah. seedlings in sand um, that they will heave. And the problem with mulching, um, what what are you mulching with? Um, uh, straw. Um, yes. And not only will you have issues with rot, but mice love to spend their winters in straw. Indeed. And um, they will nibble also. Um, I would try maybe a different mulch, one that is not as lofty. Um, a previous caller talked about using seaweed as mulch. Yeah, seaweed. Um, if you put it on in, in any, if you, well, if you put it on, say to one inch, as the caller discussed, um, it it turns into nothing. I mean, by springtime there won't be hardly anything there. Um, but if you put on more than that, then it, it then it's like icky sticky. Yes, I can imagine. Um, but I would say that straw mulch is promoting habitat for rodents. Okay. Any other mulch suggestion? Um, you could try something that lays down flatter. Uh, perhaps some leaves, if you have them. Uh-huh. Um, once again, um, if you use oak leaves, that does increase the acidity of the soil because oak, anything oak tends to absorb um, nearby calcium. Right. I do have maple. Yep. That might help. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I'll give that a try and see how it goes. Okay. Thank Thanks you. for your call, Mavis. Do you have one other caller? Can you give your name and where you're calling from, please? Hi, this is Eli. I'm calling from Washington. Hi, Eli. Hey, I just wanted to let folks know that the Low Impact Forestry Workshop that you talked about <laughs> at the beginning of the program is full. Oh, okay. So we're all happy about that. And I wanted to put a plug in for obviously getting further afield and into your woodlot this time of year, of course. But on getting the gardens ready, um, one thing I love to do at this time of year is transplant things out of my woodlot into my yard and using natives that are already well adapted to the site, in particular for wind, um, which I have much of here. Um, the other thing I would just put a plug in for is this is a good time to be thinking about planting 
native uh, early pollinators and attractants to beneficial insects to your garden if you get them in sooner. Uh, actually, a little sooner than now might be good, but um, planning that for a good start on your garden pollination in the following spring. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Eli. Yep. I, I do agree, and... At Half Moon Gardens, we try and get people to plant their perennials and do their transplanting. I like to get it done before the end of September um, so they do get themselves settled. Uh, with climate warming, um, maybe you could make that a little bit later, but I do try and recommend that people get their stuff in and settled by the end of September. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture hosted by MOFCA. Today we're talking about getting the gardens and grounds, um, plantings ready for winter, things to think about, um, and advice from our two experts in the studio here. We have CJ Walk, who's the organic orchardist at MOFCA, and Izzy McKay, who's a grower and um, has Half Moon Gardens in Thorndike. It's a call-in show. You're welcome to call in with your questions for our guests. It's 866-625-9378. That's 866-625-WERU. And in the meantime, we'll keep talking about uh, whatever we want to. So, um, Izzy, you, um, you do a lot of winter growing for your business and at home, it sounds like. I do. Um, you have ideas for, for gardeners for kind of keeping, besides the hoop houses out in the gardens that we already talked about, maybe some, some stuff you can be doing inside? Absolutely. Um, and I've been trying to tell customers for a long time that there's, if they have good sunny windows um, or have access to full-spectrum bulbs, there's no reason why they can't grow some of their own greens in their own home. What I tend to do um, is before... Uh, the ground freezes up, um, I go ahead and dig up some of my chard, some of my mustard, my kales, um, even some broccoli, and I plant it in pots. And I have the luxury of an attached greenhouse to my house. So I just put them in there and I eat off of them all winter long. You can start some um, things also. Uh, lettuce is a good um, winter cold germinator. Um, so is radish. You can grow beets inside. Just keep your cats away from them. Um, but there's no reason why uh, people can't have, you know, just a bowl of lettuce growing on their kitchen table if they have good good light. Thanks. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Can you give your name and where you're calling from? Hi, it's MJ calling from Belfast, and um, it's a perennial question, <laughs> uh, no pun intended. Um, I'm just wondering if you could talk about, Izzy, um, perennials that you absolutely should um, cut back right now or earlier for, for the winter versus others that could winter over and not be cut until the spring. Um, just like ones that really should absolutely be attended to now for the winter. Thank you. Um, thank oh, you. Okay. I, I'm not the Martha Wash, uh, Martha Stewart gardener. I'm the Irma Brombeck. Get it done when it absolutely has to be done. And most of the time, I do not get around to um, cutting back all of my perennials before winter. I do like to get my irises cut back. I do like to get um, 
some of the daylily um, material cut back because uh, if you leave the leaves there all winter long, they do become an area of rot. And so I do like to get those cleaned up. That's a sanitation practice. Um, a lot of the time, I don't get to some of my other things till later. My echinacea is still up, and I will still cut that to make my tinctures. Um, but when I get to it, I don't know. It'll happen when I get there. I do think, though, that um, it is good if you have, like, bulb material, it's good to get those um, fertilized. So that's something that you actually do want to get done now. Is there a big difference, Izzy, in the kind of fertilizer you're using with the timings? I know that, you know, the synthetic fertilizers are very quickly available, and then, you know, more compost-type material, it takes longer for the nutrients to become available. So how does that timing work for fall applications? Good question. Um, I do like to get my compost down while there is still um, some growth activity. So once again, you're talking about um, uh, no later than the end of September. However, if you haven't done it yet, it's good to just go ahead and get it done because it'll be there in the spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if the 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 breakdown doesn't have a chance to occur before the weather gets too cold this fall. It picks up where it left off in the spring. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Great. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture with your host, Mofka. And we're talking about um, getting re- getting gardens and uh, perennial, and both annual and perennial, ready for winter, and as well as orchards and, and trees. So if you have questions about those topics, you can call the studio at 866-625-9378. That's 866-625-WERU. We've had a lot of great calls and questions so far this hour, and uh, we'll still be here for a few more minutes. Um CJ, what are some what's what's one of your the top questions you get? I know you answer tons and tons of orcharding questions throughout the year. What's one of the top ones that you'd like the listeners here to knock off their <laughs> their list of questions today? Um, the majority of the questions that I receive are based around identifying pests and disease and how to manage them. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Really in the in the backyard or small orchard situation, we talked about orchard sanitation and managing drops throughout the year. And um, I find that to be, in the small-scale situation, a very effective means of, of managing pests. Uh, so a lot of times people ask me, what do I need to do for this or what do I need to do for that? Um, and a lot of times, you know, when we're – when we're farming and gardening, we're producing food for ourselves, but it's also food for a lot of other organisms out there in the world. So we're attracting these things. So most likely you will have some type of pest to deal with in your fruit trees. And um, just cleaning up the drops regularly, I do it at least twice a week throughout the season, especially in the high kind of infestation times. But when you have fruit that is dropping from the tree, the tree is dropping the fruit for a reason. Either the fruit is damaged, uh, maybe mechanical damage, um, or also pest damage. And a lot of times those pests go into the fruit, they eat the seeds out of the center, the fruit is no longer viable for reproduction, so to speak, and the tree will drop that fruit. 
the larva is still inside and that larva wants to get into the soil, pupate, finish off its life cycle by becoming an adult, and then emerge and come back and start infecting more fruit again. So to really break that cycle, especially if you're in a non-spray situation, managing those drops is really, really a, a key thing to do throughout the entire season. The pests that are common to fruit and apple trees, are are there um, natural hosts for, you know, like, so I throw a dropped apple into the woods behind my house. Is that life cycle just going to continue in the, the, the native plants that are growing in there? Yes, it can, especially with some of the diseases with all the wild trees we have around in the woods and field edge. I mean, those can be hosts for mm-hmm. pests and disease. Um, some places will recommend removing any wild unmanaged trees within a certain radius from your area. Um, however, I enjoy those wild trees that are just doing their own thing as much as the ones I'm cultivating. So I tend to maybe prune them, but let them be. So what do you do with the, the drops? You, they get composted? You could do various things. Composting can be a little tricky because... If you know that you have a very hot compost, you're getting above 125 degrees, 140 degrees, then you'll most likely kill the larva that may be in there. Um, otherwise, if you're composting, putting it in kind of a nice warm compost, you may be creating a nice little incubator bed for these larvae to pupate right. and turn into adults. Right, and it takes a while for an entire apple to break down. I mean, do you try to break them up or crush them up? To um, Usually I don't compost. If I know that I'm picking up during a high pest season, <clears throat> I may collect them in a five-gallon bucket and fill it with water and leave it with full of water for mm-hmm. five or seven days and kind of drown them out. Uh, if you can feed them to livestock, that's ideal. That's okay. what I've been doing this year is feeding them to the pigs on the grounds. Great. We do have a caller on the line. Can you give us your name and where you're calling from? Yeah, it's me again, Beatty. <laughs> I've got a lot of oak leaves, so I couldn't resist calling on oak leaves. Um, my feeling about oak leaves is that if you can compost them, if you can leave them for a year and compost them with a nitrogen source along with the other leaves, get a good um, texture mixture, that you're not acidifying the soil. There are full of nutrients. The oak tree goes way down and, you know, gathers up a lot of minerals. So uh, I'd hate to waste them. I don't put them directly garden because of the acidity, but the compost, I believe, neutralizes, the, the process neutralizes the acidity. So that's, I use a lot of leaves, make a lot of leaf compost, having let the leaves sit for a year, um, and it seems to work well. Do you turn your compost? Well, again, I'm pretty lazy, so um Often I do once, but I don't do it right away when you're supposed to keep it hot. And um, I think if you're really worried about disease, that the heating and turning is important. And in that case, I, you know, when I finally do compost those leaves and I put a nitrogen source in, if I turn them at that point, that would be good. I mean, it does heat up, but I usually just let it sit after that just because it's so, such a busy time in the fall when I'm doing it. I'm doing last year's leaves, composting them in the fall before I collect that year's leaves. Thanks, Beatty. We yeah. have another caller, so I'm going to let you yeah. go. Can you, the next caller, can you give us your name and where you're calling from? 
Hi, I'm Karen in Rockland, and I just quickly had a question about spring bulbs. I mean, for planting in the springtime, and time went by, and I was out of state, and one thing and another. Is it is it too late to to plant those bulbs? Should I plant them next spring, or just kind of forget about it? I would think right now that if you could find a nice, cool, dry place to store your bulbs, um, mm-hmm. a place where mice aren't going to get to them, um, that I would just hold off and wait until spring at this point. And plant them when they should have been planted. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your call. I'd like to remind you that you're listening to Common Ground, an hour on local food and agriculture on WERU Community Radio. Um, we're talking about putting the gardens to bed and um, thinking about getting yourself in a good situation starting next spring. We have CJ Walk, um, organic orchardist from Mafka, and Izzy McKay from Half Moon Gardens and Thorndike. And we're welcoming your call um, with questions about gardening and orcharding topics. It's the number is 866 625 9378. That's 866-625-WERU. Um, and we'll just keep talking about whatever we want to here. Um, so how about other topics for getting um, getting a jump start in the spring? What's a good way to take advantage of the growing hours of daylight <laughs> as soon as possible? Um, well, it's not a bad time to start going through your seed supply and um, see what age your seed is. Uh, You know, if you have old onion seed, don't bother. Throw them out. Um, Start looking through and cataloging your seeds. Um, It wouldn't hurt to do, if you have old bean seed, for instance, it wouldn't hurt to do a germination test to see if they'll even germinate. Um, otherwise, it's just you might as well um, throw your beans, old bean seeds away. Right, because that's that that starter mix is more going to be more valuable than the one out of twenty germination rate. You know, right. you're going to end up costing you more than the the new packet packet of seeds potentially. And and look how you store your seeds too. Um, I have noted noticed that if we leave seed in a hot greenhouse for one day, you've cooked that seed, mm. um, and you might as well just throw it away. It will not germinate. Um, so be careful how you store your seeds. Um, we keep um, in one of our storage rooms. It's about 50 degrees, maybe a little cooler. Mice can't get to it. Um and that seems to be a good place. Seeds are still, you have to remember, seeds are still actually living things. Um, and so you have to treat them like living things. They still need access to oxygen. They still need access um, to correct temperatures. Um, some people throw their seeds in the freezer. I don't. Um, I just, you know, keep mine in a dry, cool place where critters can't get to them. We do have a caller on the line. Can you give your name and where you're calling from? Yes, my name is Mary, and I'm calling from Winter Harbor, and it's just a fabulous show. I'm really enjoying Izzy's input. 
and and I used to be a neighbor of hers. Is this Mary Wilson? It is. Hi. <laughs> I have um, I have a couple of questions. Last year we had a soil test done, and it came back above optimum organic matter. And um, and so I, I didn't add really much compost or anything to our garden this year because of that. And it also was high in iron and, and zinc. But I wanted to know if I could add uh, Mantefe humate, H-U-M-A-T-E, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, or... Um, uh, azomite, I have these left over, and I also have some NutraVeg now and rototill it in, um, and usually I cover it with uh, black mulch, or, or I do use seaweed as well, and I've had good luck with using that as a mulch, and even when I put it in heavy, I pull it aside, um, set it aside, and then when I hill my potatoes, I add it to the soil or I've used it to mulch my garlic with good results, too. But um, is it too late uh, to add that, or should I wait until in the spring and maybe add these additives? I believe the azomite is more of a mineral mix. It is. Um, And so adding it now, I'm not sure um, what benefit there might be. I do know that if you were trying... To go into my garden right now after it being tilled with a cover crop i i would sink six inches into my soil so um i don't know how much rain you got i don't know if you need snowshoes to get into your garden right no, now we have really good drainage good so you have um it concerns me though that you have too much organic matter so maybe you don't want to add uh, more things that would add to your organic compo- uh, composition. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, so maybe not seaweed right now. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Well, this has been um, a debate because I love this stuff and being near the coast, it's easily accessible. So, um, good. I'll take your good advice, and thank you so much. It's been a wonderful show. Thank you. All Thanks, right. Mary. Hi. Let's talk a little more about, we haven't talked about cover cropping too much besides um, when you kind of introduced the, the idea at the beginning. Um, what What's the timing around around the oats in particular? Is that something that you've already planted and incorporated? Yes, I, I have. I ha- And I was late getting it done. Um, as soon as a particular part of Um, your garden is not in use anymore. I do like to get it cleaned up, get it tilled, and get the cover crop down as soon as possible. Once again, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I get it done when I can. Um, But oats is a very good um, cold temperature germinator. Um, So is winter rye. Um, I often will mix in some perennial seed with my um, cover crop. I really like Dutch white clover. It's expensive seed, but it does um, not get very tall and it tends to um, be persistent. So I would much rather have Dutch white clover in between uh, my rows than weeds. And um, I find it makes weed management a little bit easier. Hmm. Um, So what's the, how, 
how long before you incorporate the oats after seeding or after germination? I like to get the oats, um, let's see, when they're about, oh, I, I like to keep them mowed. I'll keep it mowed all winter long as long as I, you know, have access to it. If it gets above six inches high, I'll just mow it. And then I won't turn it in until spring. Okay. CJ, what about um, managing the area around the trees and orchards? Basically just mowing or is there are there um, companion plantings that are recommended within orchard situations? <clears throat> yes, there are. There are different things you can do, and part of it will be based on the aesthetic that you're looking for. Um, so in terms of the management of the orchard floor or immediately beneath the tree, um, <clears throat> mowing would keep the grass down. Um, ideally, you'd like to reduce any competition for nutrients, water and nutrients for the tree, and sod can be a real real good competitor, especially just a nice thick four inch four inches or so of that root mass. Um, so if there's ways to break up that sod, that can be helpful. Um, and that way you can kind of eliminate that competition. But companion planting for different types of um, perennials that are going deeper into the or deep into the soil profile and bringing up nutrients. Um, some things like comfrey, for example, although comfrey right. can be rather permanent. Borage is another one. Um, so different things that in the permaculture realm would be referred to as uh, the dynamic accumulators pulling up these nutrients and as the foliage decomposes those nutrients are now available higher up in the so soil profile um, but also uh, we had a call earlier about beneficials and pollinators so mixing in various uh, perennials annuals whether it's you know woody or dies back to the ground things that'll be nectar or food for pollinators and beneficials all throughout the season will help just really boost that diversity within your orchard or your fruit trees in the backyard. Around the, the base of the tree, what's the the target area to keep free of, of that competing grass and sod? Well, I like to keep around the trees a good two-foot radius from the trunk, especially the young trees. And that's eliminating some of the competition from the sod and other weeds, um, but also helps just keep that trunk free so you can keep an eye out for the round-headed apple borer, which is a very common uh, pest of young apple trees in an organic situation. So keeping that trunk free is, it, um, makes it more visible, and you can inspect it on a routine basis looking for any sign of that pest. Uh, but usually whenever... You're managing something around the fruit trees. Um, we've talked a lot about composts and mulch and where these beneficial plants could go, especially those that are returning nutrients back to the soil. I'm really focusing on the drip line around the tree. So I, if the tree were wet and you were to shake it, you know, where that water all drips off. And that's typically the concentrated area of feeder roots to the tree that come out kind of seasonally. So really managing nutrients within that realm so that the tree roots can access them. And you want to keep that ground covered with some kind of mulch. You don't want it to just be bare. I use various things as mulch. Um, when planting young trees, I'll usually use mulch hay around the base or keep it weed-free right down to the soil for a good foot to two feet around the young tree, but then trying to fight back the sod or whatever grass situation may be happening. 
Um, so usually young trees, I'm using mulch hay, especially on the Mofka grounds. We tend to have a lot of it left over after the fair. Um, so it's a great way to just return that back to the soil. But I'm also using wood chips. And I am chipping up mostly, it's all hardwood that I use. Um, and it's mostly the prunings from the orchard when we prune in March. I'll set those aside to chip in the spring as well as when we have the low-impact forestry group out there and they're hauling some firewood out, um, I'll get some of the tops and limbs and I'll chip that as well. So usually that'll be chipped in the spring, April or so, when I let it sit for six months. And usually I'll spread that around in the fall, just give it a little bit of time to start to break down and decompose somewhat. Um, But when we're talking about mulches, especially with your trees, it's best to keep that mulch away from the trunk. You really want to keep that trunk free um, of any mulch at all. One reason it can hold moisture up against there and be more of an invitation for pests and disease. Uh, But as well as when we get into the winter, another thing that I'll be doing usually by Thanksgiving is protecting all the trunks of the trees with Volgards. Um, Those are the the wraps that go around the... Yeah, there's a few different styles. um, And we mentioned that the voles love to be in the mulch, so I'm intentionally building mulch piles around so I know that I'm just making the ideal habitat for these voles. And so I need to protect those trees, especially the the young trees that have the nice tender bark. So there's a few different styles. Um, There are plastic spiral vole guards that you can wind around and and the, the spiral shape helps them kind of stretch out to fit the larger trees. They also make uh, more of just a plastic kind of mesh that is maybe a six-inch diameter. It has a couple clips, so you can put that around a young tree that you just mm-hmm. planted out and just leave it there. Um, the air can get through with the spiral vole guards. You want to remove those in spring. You don't want to leave those on all summer. That'll, that'll cause lots of problems with the base of your tree. Um, but also you can use hardware cloth from the hardware store and cut your own strips and just kind of pin it together. Just some type of physical barrier so voles or other rodents or even rabbits are not able to get to that trunk and chew on that bark in the winter for for feed. Great. Izzy, you have any last words of advice for our gardeners listening? Don't panic. <laughs> um, it's. I used to think... You know, Mm -hmm. oh, I have to have the perfect garden. And, um, you know, we live busy lives. And um, make your garden someplace that you just enjoy getting into so that um, even if you just spend five, ten minutes um, getting in there, um, make it something that's enjoyable so that you'll want to go out and do it again and just make it your place of peace relaxation so that you're encouraged to get out there more great thank you very much um we are just about out of time and i'd like to thank our guests i'm looking at the engineer amy for a time check because our clock says (laughs) 11 o'clock but maybe it's fast i don't know okay so um I'd like to thank our guests today, CJ Walk and Izzy McKay, for um, helping us answer questions about putting the gardens to bed. I'd also like to thank Amy Brown for engineering the show. Be sure to join us next month. We'll be talking, taking sorry, a creative look at holiday gift giving with special guest Barbara Damrosh. 
That'll be Friday, December 7th at 10 a.m. right here on your community radio, WERU-FM. Thanks for listening. Support for WERU comes from Bay Chamber Concerts, presenting Baylow.